It's Resurrection Sunday, and we're here to make a fuss. Amen. Jesus conquered death and rose from the grave. And that means something. Next Sunday, as has already been stated, is Baptismal Sunday. And then the following Sunday, the service will be dedicated to a worship encounter. And there will be longer time devoted to worship. And we always have incredible things that happen when we have worship encounters. And so come expecting to encounter God. If you've never been in a baptismal service and you've never been baptized, you need to follow the Lord's example and his admonition and be baptized. That's so significant and important. I'll mention it in the service today and the message. I'll talk just a little bit about it, but talk about make a difference in your life. It can be profound. And then the worship encounters, they just always impact me so deeply. I'm turning to the gospel of St. Luke chapter 24 and reading in verse number one, beginning. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Can you imagine now their shock and consternation? Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, these two men spoke to these, Folk that were there, why do you seek the living among the dead? And then the emphatic declaration, he is not here. He is risen. Amen. And I want to turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2. And read two verses. In verse number 12. The Apostle Paul says, we are buried with him, that is with Christ, in baptism. This is why I mentioned that baptism is significant. Because when you get baptized, you're going through the process of the old man being buried as Christ was buried in the tomb. And you leave your past there. That's extraordinary. But we're buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. That's an interesting phrase because what that phrase working of God means is God's plan and what God did through the plan that he put together, that that is why you have been raised, he says, and that now he who raised Christ from the dead, you have the potential of experiencing that same thing. So in verse 13, Paul goes on to add, and you were being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together. I want to emphasize that word. Together. Everybody say together. Who did it? He did it. He has made us alive together. Amen. With him having forgiven you all Trespasses, not some, not most, all. Thank God they're gone. Amen. 
I would like for you to notice with me that God not only provided a way to raise us up when he raised Christ up, Christ up, but he made us alive together with Christ. Now, did you see that in that verse? And I, I went over it again because my whole message is going to be derived from that one thing right there. And I love this text because what it is emphasizing is that everything about our salvation is contingent, not upon anything that we can do. We can't do anything to save ourselves, but our salvation is entirely dependent upon the fact that God raised Christ from the dead and at the same time gave us the potential to be raised in newness of life. And so that literally means this, if I can paraphrase, whether or not the cross works is completely up to whether God accepted what Jesus did on the cross. Whether our sins are atoned for is determined by whether God looked at that cross on that hill called Golgotha and the person hanging on the middle cross and said, I accept that. And I will allow the sins of humanity to be erased because of what you have done on that cross. But that raises a question, and it's the question that I want to address today. And the question is, how do we know whether God accepted Christ's sacrifice or not? How do we determine that? How do we know if the sacrifice was received by God? I want to speak this morning from this subject, how I know that the cross really worked. Father, I thank you today for your incredible love for us, what the day means, the power and the significance of the resurrection, what it did for our lives, what it's doing for us right now, what it's doing for families and marriages and, and for people's physical healing and what it's doing for forgiveness of sins and, and the breaking of addictions and other things in our lives that we don't even want to be there, but sometimes that cling to us like they're glue. I thank you for all that was done this day. And would you help me now hide behind the, the cross and you alone get the glory by emphasizing to us what this day means. And I ask it that you could be exalted and lifted up and honored in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Shout it out loud. Amen. Amen. Now, right after the service, I hope to meet as many of you as I can in the lobby. I usually go to the left side of the lobby near the door. We have a, a table set up and gifts for you. I would love to meet you. But I want to get into the word. How do I know if the cross really worked? That is a good question. Because we always take it for granted that it did. We always assume that the cross achieved its purpose. To begin with, there are seven things to consider at Easter and not one. Seven. One of those is the sinfulness of man, for it created the dead. The second is the righteousness of God, for that's what demanded justice to be paid. The third component that needs to be 
examined today is the birth of Christ. For he provided himself as the Lamb of Atonement. The fourth thing is Jesus' sinless life. For that certified the Lamb that was born, who was Emmanuel, God with us, as being without spot or blemish and therefore acceptable as the sacrifice. The fifth thing was the crucifixion of Jesus that we observed on Friday night in the Good Friday service. That was the price that was paid. And to be sure, I want you to know he died. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He died on the cross. The sixth thing was his burial. He was buried in a, 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 he was buried in a borrowed tomb, I mean to say, and the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And that marked the dead as being satisfied. But then came the resurrection. And in the sequence of events as they unfold in that story, it is the resurrection that declares the transaction valid and complete and accepted by God. It is heaven's receipt to us. Together, these events tell a story too wonderful for words. Independent of each other, they are in and of themselves remarkable. But together, they create a story so compelling that they changed every person in this room. Every person in the world now has been changed. Not that they're saved but that they now have a door before which they stand where they can be saved. Easter is the glorious, victorious crescendo, the apex of the symphony of the ages, the culmination of God's plan of redemption for us. Sometimes people separate these things and look at them independently. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but to get the full effect, you have to view all seven together. Take Christmas, for example. People that don't even know Christ, that are secular, don't even believe in God, will celebrate Christmas, right? Because it's a time to give gifts and show love and be with family. But the real meaning of Christmas is often overlooked because it is examined or celebrated as an event that stands alone and by itself. They do the same thing with the life of Christ, don't they? They talk about Jesus was an incredible philosopher. He taught a great philosophy for life. He had principles of living that can change us and make our life more meaningful. And I accept every one of those statements. But I will add one more thing. He was more than just a philosopher. He was the son of God manifest in the flesh. He didn't just come to teach us a philosophy. He came to change our lives. Amen. And so Easter is not just a separate isolated event that stands alone and is about an empty tomb. It is more about the person who came and gave his life on the cross and why he came. That's what Easter is really all about. But it ends in a question mark. And that question is, was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross acceptable to God? The tomb that we mark as being empty today, it existed because of the cross. There would have been no need for a tomb. Jesus would not have needed to have been buried if there had not been a cross. 
But the cross occurred because we needed redemption. And if there is one symbol that exists in the world that is immediately identifiable to everyone, regardless of where you may live, as being Christian, it is the cross, right? Because we see a lot of crosses used in modern culture. And we see them on buildings. We see them on steeples and churches. We see them as jewelry around people's necks. People erect them in cemeteries even many years ago before they had formal cemeteries. What they would often do is they would carve a cross on a tree and bury a body at the foot of that tree, meaning that it has been buried in Christ and that person is waiting for the resurrection. In the Eastern European country of Lithuania, there is a hill that is called the Hill of Crosses. I actually, after mentioning this this morning, met a young couple who on their honeymoon have been there. They were in service. That hill is only 33 feet high, but it is fascinating. It is located in a place called Shuli. It is one of the few things left in this world that I want to see. I've seen about everything that I really care to see, but this is one of the things remaining that I hope to get to someday. Centuries ago, Lithuania was conquered by Russia and overrun. Several times they tried to rebel and regain their independence, but failed. In 1831, the people of Lithuania began to erect crosses on this hill that's only, as I said, 33 feet high outside Shuli, the city of Shuli. And they did this to remember their loved ones who had either been killed or gone missing in battle as they fought for freedom. After the rise of communism, Lithuania then became a part of the Soviet empire. Communists are atheists. They don't believe in God and they sure don't believe in crosses, right? And so the cross also has another meaning. It is the symbol of freedom and they certainly didn't want that. So three different times the Soviets leveled every cross on the Hill of Crosses. There was at one time 40,000 crosses there. And the Soviets would come in and destroy them all. The last time, they brought in bulldozers and bulldozed every cross down. And then went to nearby farms and trucked in truckloads of manure from the farms and slathered it all over the entire hill to desecrate it and show their disdain for all things Christian. And even then, when the Soviets went away as darkness fell, the people of Lithuania came out and put the crosses back up again. And night after night, they would add more crosses and more until today there are 200,000 crosses on that hill. 200,000. But all of them point toward another hill and three crosses, but specifically the one in the middle. And that is why you and I are here today. It is because the cross in the middle changed everything. Amen. The cross, it consists of two beams of timber, one horizontal and the other vertical, taken by itself. The horizontal member of the cross is a minus sign. In mathematics, it would mean subtraction. It would mean that you take something away. And that's what 
sin did to us. It took away our happiness, our freedom, our satisfaction. It took took away our contentment, our sense of fulfillment, our sense of destiny. It took away our relationship with God. But when Christ came, they added the vertical member of the cross. And suddenly, the minus sign becomes the diametrically opposite sign. And that instead of it meaning something has been taken, it is a plus sign and it means something is given. I'm here today and so are you to celebrate that Christ gave us what the devil took away. Jesus went and got it back. Can somebody in the building say amen? I love it that at the cross, God turns minuses into pluses. Hallelujah. He crossed out the ordinances that were against us and X'd out our sins. In other words, the cross was heaven's remedy for our sins. But again, to return to the question. How do we know that it succeeded? How do we know that what Jesus set out to do accomplished its purpose? How do we know that God received his solution to the problem and considered it to be satisfactory? You have to do the same thing with the cross that we do with any remedy, don't you? The effectiveness of a remedy is always determined by its success in resolving the problem it was created to solve. You have to look at the outcome. As humanity, we had a problem. We had a sin problem that, as I said, we could not rectify on our own. But Christ came, the sacrificial lamb of God, born of a virgin. That's why those seven things together are so vital. Lived a spotless life and gave himself in our place. Calvary was a straightforward business transaction. You and I owed a debt that we could not pay. Remember the old song, I owed a debt uh, that I, uh, he paid, he owed, I owed a debt, forgive me, I'll get it right in a moment. I could not pay, he paid a debt he did not owe. There it is. Amen. Yeah, it's been years since I've sung that. But Calvary, was a straightforward transaction. Jesus came and said, I'll take your sins and I'll pay the price. Now all eyes turn toward heaven to see if that is acceptable. Did it work? In our text, the apostle Paul takes great care to emphasize that what Christ did was indeed marked to our account. Because while it was happening, Paul says to Christ, It then began to happen to us. We are buried with him in baptism, raised with him and made alive together with him. That's our text in Colossians. Did you get that? Together with him. Not by ourselves. We couldn't have done it on our own. But because he walked through it, we got to go through the process of enjoying the benefit of heaven's Solution. Now, what proof do we have that Jesus came and his debt or the the price he paid, the debt he paid was acceptable to God? There's only one way that that 
can be ascertained or determined. And that is in terms of its efficaciousness or effectiveness. And it's that thing right there. It's the tomb. If Jesus was still in the tomb, it means that the debt was not satisfied. But if he rose on Easter morning, it means he didn't rise by himself. Paul says, God raised him up. And if God raised him up, it means it was in response to what Jesus did. And what hope does that offer me and you? This is the hope it provides that if the spirit of that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, it will quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. It means that if Jesus got up, that God said, I accept it. And it means that if God's living inside of you, you're going to get up someday too. Oh, bless his name. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah. The empty tomb is proof this Easter morning that it worked. Because had Christ not risen, the tomb still sealed would have been irrevocable evidence of the failure of Christ's attempt on our behalf. Bold, brave, commendable, and selfless. But if the tomb was still occupied, it would have still meant that he failed. No matter how brave it was, no matter how selfless it was, I'm here to declare the good news that Christ is not in the tomb. He is risen from the dead. And for 2,000 years, we have been celebrating the fact Jesus is alive. Can somebody say that? Jesus is alive. So in the last few minutes, this is what I want to say. Jesus reversed the curse. He turned a minus into a plus. And guess what? God's remedies don't expire. You probably have some medicine at home that says it's about to expire. Maybe it already has. But let me tell you about the blood. The blood of Jesus never gets outdated. It never loses its efficaciousness. It never loses its effectiveness. Somebody needs to know this. The blood still works. The blood still works. The empty tomb proves that Jesus took our sins to give us his virtue. The immune system of the human body is one of the most powerful things that exist within us that we humans have going in our favor. When we're exposed to various pathogens, our blood will many times develop antibodies to fight and overcome these infections. And in the process, what happens is these antibodies begin to recognize the bacteria or virus that they have fought and that they have defeated. And then it becomes what they call wise blood. Wise blood. Many years ago, about 11 or 12 years ago, I was in Africa and I became exposed to two tropical illnesses at the same time. One of them was yellow fever and another, it was either cholera or typhoid. I forgot which it was. I got sick. Oh my Lord, was I sick? 
I called my wife. How do you remember what I called? And I said, I want you to listen to this. And I put the phone up by the window and you could hear it, goats bleeding outside at my window. I said, I am sick and I'm concerned. I managed to get home. And when I got home, went to the doctor, they put me in the hospital. The doctor that was in charge of my, my care at St. Luke's had been a medical missionary and he had been to, uh, in Kenya and spent time there. And he thought I might have tuberculosis because this infection settled in my lungs. So I was put in immediate isolation. Thank God it wasn't that. But when the lab work came back, I had antibodies to, to yellow fever and to whatever the other disease was as, that I just mentioned. I, I was sick. And it took me forever to overcome them. The good thing is I've got a great immune system. All the soldiers showed up in my body, in my blood, and they began to attack the invaders and, you know, good stuff. And amen. And here's the problem. Once it defeated them, they didn't go home. They didn't turn off. They said, we're enjoying fighting. We'll anything else we can fight. And they attacked my own lungs. And I developed something called bilateral obliterans organizing pneumonia. And I had it for a year. And I just couldn't hardly walk. It was like I was slogging through mud and the slightest exertion. And it was terrible. But finally, by God's grace and the help of my doctors, I was able to get the immune system calmed down and recovered. And God is good. But I couldn't help but think during that process... You know, now I've got wise blood. You know, I I, I faced yellow fever and defeated it. How many people do you know that have had that? And you know what they often do when somebody has wise blood? If somebody else will have a similar infection, they will give them a transfusion because the antibodies from the other person will help the person suffering overcome that illness. But let me tell you about wise blood. Jesus took our sin and developed immunity to it for us. And when you get saved, hello somebody, the blood of the Savior is what conquers the sin in you. It's not you. You can't overcome it by yourself. Thank God for the blood. Amen. Jesus drank the bitter cup and became exposed to the contaminant of sin. The second thing that we know about the empty tomb is that it proves that Jesus' stripes can heal and give us wholeness. There's a man in this service, I think right now we have people in overflow, so he's somewhere in the building. I saw him in between services coming in. Two months ago, he had cancer and was diagnosed as being incurable. It was going to be terminal. And two weeks ago, he went to his doctor and that cancer is no longer there. I give God praise. Are you here in the building? If you are, would you stand? I want to put you on the spot. I'm looking. Hallelujah. There he is right there. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Somebody give God some praise. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. We can't take any credit for that. 
Not even this good brother can take credit for that. Isaiah 53, 5 says concerning Christ who was to come. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Do you need healing? It's by his stripes. The empty tomb proves the stripes work. Some people say, but I always thought that that was a verse that only dealt with the healing of the sin that was inside of us. And they want to spiritualize the whole verse. And I'm not going to make you feel bad if that's what you were taught. But if you look at Matthew 8, 16 through 17, this is the apostle Matthew. He said, when evening had come, they brought to him, that is to Jesus, many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word. Somebody needs to say, thank God I've got a word. Would you do that? And healed all who were sick. Did you see that? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. There's an obvious physical application because Matthew said all those people Jesus healed were because of that verse right there. How do I know that I can be healed and whole? I am not only a living testimony of so many things that God has done. And if you're visiting with us today, you don't know it. You're looking at a guy that's had 33 surgeries. I've been through some stuff. Wasn't just that thing over there in Africa. God is good. And some of us have similar testimonies. We not only have experienced it, but we can go straight to that tomb right there and say, that's how I know that the stripes work because the tomb is empty. Jesus was raised from the dead. What he did was accepted. Just a couple of more minutes. The empty tomb also proves that Christ can free us from bondage and deliver us. How do I know that? Because he rose again. The same thing. Paul makes this point emphatically in Colossians 2. When Jesus began his earthly ministry in Isaiah 61 in verse 1, there's a verse. And Jesus was in the synagogue. And they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, open to this very passage on the day he started his ministry. It was the passage that was supposed to be read that day because they have a a, a whole calendar of scriptural readings that they would go through. And it says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of prison to those who are bound. And then he said, this day is this saying fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Did you get that? Christ was anointed to preach the good news. And the good news is about not only forgiveness of sins, but about being delivered from bondage. Who am I talking to right now? That needs hope. And you've tried to defeat things in your life by yourself and you can't. Who am I I speaking to right now? You've struggled with addictions. We've watched people be healed and set free. Not only from physical ailments, but from bondages, mental, 
We've, we've, helped, we've watched people as they've gotten free from drug addictions and alcoholism. I just want to tell you, as long as that tomb is empty, it means you've got hope. Can I hear somebody say, that's right. The blood conquers. The blood conquers. Julian, the apostate Roman emperor, was dying. He had sworn to destroy Christianity. And he was wounded in one of Rome's battles. And he lay on the ground, bleeding out. And while he was dying, he looked up at heaven. Toward the one that he had sworn to destroy all knowledge of. And allegiance to in the earth. And he reached over and grasped a handful of sand, history tells us. Soaked with his own blood. And threw it. Toward the sky and said, thou Galilean has conquered at the last. And I want to tell you, regardless of what you're facing, the blood of Jesus will conquer it. Not only that, the empty tomb proves that Jesus can take our stress. Would our prayer counselors please come and give us his peace. Someone in this building today may need peace. You're tormented. In your mind, things haven't gone well. You've been through some rejection. You face pain and heartache. You feel isolated and alone. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you are doing great. But it sure is a challenge to keep all the plates spinning, right? And all the wheels turning. Make everything keep happening. In every year that goes by, you're grinding it out a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's harder and harder. Jesus came that you could have peace. That you could rest. You don't have to carry the load anymore. He came to give your life direction and meaning. Easter carries the whole range of emotions, doesn't it? From plunging despair on Friday when Jesus was betrayed and crucified. To silent Saturday. To triumphant Sunday. We go through so many emotions. you don't have to live with that pain anymore that you're carrying because the final thing is the empty tomb proves this it proves that your alienation can end in God's embrace anybody (laughs) we say it sometime but I want to ask you did you ever just need a hug now, come on, you can do better than that. Some of you hugged up to the person you're with right now. So, amen. Come on. You ever just need a hug? Life's been tough. The arms of the cross are held open this way forever. And they mean, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It means you can come to God right now. Right now. Would you stand with me across the building? 
while every head is bowed. Could I see the hands of those in this building? You'll slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need what Jesus did on that cross. And I need the tomb to be empty. I need Christ. Raise your hand all across this building. You're talking to me. I need salvation. I need a savior. I need healing. I need deliverance. I need a miracle. Risers at home. I want to pray for you. Father God, I thank you because of who you are. We don't have a hill across us. We just need one. And we need the tomb to be empty. And Lord, I'm asking that you would forgive us of our sins as we come to you today. Every person that raised their hands in this room, every individual that lifted their hand to acknowledge their need of God. I want you to be the Lord of our lives. We repent of our sins, our self-will, our stubbornness. And we ask you to take control. And we love you, Lord. We thank you for what you did for us. In Jesus' name. Let's welcome every person that prayed that prayer. Come on. Let's have a party. Can I hear you? Come on. Let me hear you. Celebrate with me. Hallelujah. We're about to go, but before we do, you saw that man that was just healed of cancer. Anybody need a miracle in this place? Anybody need deliverance? Why don't you come right now? Anybody need peace? Anybody need help? There's no telling what God might do this Resurrection Sunday. Come, come. Amen. Folk are coming behind you. Just keep coming. Amen. And we're going to close the service in the altar praying for one another. Amen. If you are here today visiting with us or as our guest, we're so glad that you came. We welcome you. We're honored that you are here. I look forward to meeting you. Please come back again. Amen. And let's watch what God might do in your life and in your family. He has plans for you. That I promise. Would you sing? Mountain, you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. You're welcome to join us if you would like to pray. Now let's pray, okay? Father, I'm asking you to touch every person who has stepped forward in boldness that needs a touch of Almighty God. God, I want you to touch every person's body that needs healing. Touch those that need peace. Touch their hearts. God, I'm asking you to bring the help that they are up here seeking. God, I want you to move in their lives. Be real to them. We believe the tomb is empty. We believe in the resurrection of our Savior. We believe in the power of what you did on the cross. And that heaven received that as the penalty for our sins and payment in full. 
And I'm asking you right now, God, don't let a person who is here seeking you, who needs your help or your intervention, leave here today without receiving what they need. In Jesus' name, let's praise him. Come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him.